Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Not D&D, which is brought to you by EN World Live. As always, I'm your host, Jessica, and this week with me we have from Broken Blade Pub... Let's try that again. We have with us from Broken Blade Publishing, Kyle. Kyle, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. No problem. And now you don't need to worry about tripping over your words because I've already done it for you. So you don't need to be anxious about that. Um, so Kyle has really kindly come on today to talk about uh, their system, Perilous D6, and also to talk about Streets of Peril, um, the game that's also based on this system. Uh, and so we'll get into depth and talk about those systems uh, a little bit during the show. If you are watching us live, that lucky you, it means you can get involved and join in the chat. If you have any questions, put them in the chat and we will answer them live live if you're listening to the podcast thank you very much any links that we talk about will be in the show notes for you to click through to so kyle before we dig into uh perilous d6 i wanted to talk about you and um your background with gaming uh, So the question i ask everybody is always what was the first uh tabletop role-playing game that you remember playing what was it that started this whole thing uh the first uh ttrpg i played was uh, the first edition of warhammer fantasy role-playing Oh, wow. First edition. Okay. Yes. In fact, uh, at the time, um, I grew up in a home where my parents wouldn't let me play D&D or any role-playing games. So some friends and I scrolled money together to go to a used bookstore to buy mm -hmm. that copy of Amazing. Warhammer. Yes. Fantastic. I don't know much about first edition. I'm playing the current edition, which I think is, is it fourth? I think it's fourth, yeah. Yeah, I'm fourth, but I heard first edition was very crunchy, so that was probably quite a lot to to dig in and learn. What an introduction! Um, but uh, you know, so you started playing Warhammer Fantasy. How did you how did how did you get into a place where Broken Blade Publishing is now making games? What was that journey like for you? So I started playing with just two other friends, and mm -hmm. there was no YouTube or. Um, critical role or anything. So we were trying to figure mm -hmm. out how to play at the time. And yeah. a few years later, we went to high school together and then we started playing third edition D&D with another group. Mm -hmm. And we played it religiously. We would go, I would drive an hour to another city to go uh, play with a bunch of guys and we'd hang out like all weekend. And Amazing. then, yeah, after college, um, or actually probably about somewhere about halfway through college, everyone sort of parted ways and mm -hmm life happened. And um, uh, I ended up going to the police academy. And oh, wow. I yeah, I, so I got I got preoccupied with a lot of other things. Sure. And um, a few years later, about I would say about eight years ago, um, one of my old roommates happened to get in touch with me, he had just gotten out of the Navy. And he was like, Hey, let's get together and play some Warhammer fantasy role play. And I said, Yeah, sure. And Mm -hmm. um, I've been with that same group now since then. And while we were playing through, at the time it was second edition Warhammer, Fantasy Role Playing. We also played fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. And we played a couple, we tried a couple other games, Dungeon Crawl Classics. And um, as we were going through these different systems, I kept, as every game master does, mm -hmm. uh, you're always thinking, well, how could I tweak this? How could I make this more in line with the way I want the game to be? Mm-hmm. And so some of the, the design elements that went into Perilous D6 were really influenced by trying to blend some of the, the things that I like the best of, of the different mm -hmm. role-playing systems I had played. Absolutely. I think it's, I, I'm always, as you can probably tell by this podcast, I love people trying loads of new different systems because there's just so much out there. And I think 
first of all, just as somebody that plays games, playing lots of different games and trying stuff out is fun. But I think it makes people better games designers because you see more of what's out there. And you just, like you say, you you take bits that will inspire you or you're like, oh, I like this section, but maybe if we just did it like this and put it in here. So it's awesome to hear that that was, you know, how you explored and, and got into to doing that as well. Um, also, we're going to be talking about... Um, Streets of Peril a little bit and this is quite it's in kind of a historical not 100% accurate historical setting I'll say because there are monsters and, and things going on in there and magic that maybe isn't perhaps historically true but I can see a big real world historical influence on things and that's linked to your background because I think you've you've got a background with history and and doing things like that is that right? Yeah so I um I own and operate a historical um sword fighting school here in Arizona and I've been running this school now for since 2018. And uh, we just recently had this big brick and mortar location with 6,000 mm -hmm. square feet. And I've got tons of students and I put swords in people's hands, and let them beat each other up with them. So uh, one of the, fun. it is, it's a lot of one fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, but one of the components of this is uh, there's, there's different kinds of, um, I'm trying to think of how to describe it. What what mm -hmm. I primarily focus on is something what most people commonly call now HEMA, historical European martial arts. Okay. And the school, the the discipline of sword fighting that I teach is uh, a 14th to 16th century uh, German style of fighting, and so everything is documented in these books. Okay. And uh, a lot of the reasons why um, Streets of Perils world and background is created the way that it is, is because I've become very interested while studying mm -hmm. this 16th century um, sword fighting system. Actually, it's earlier than that, but uh, the mm -hmm. the setting for Streets of Pearl 16th century and some of the manuscripts yeah. are as well. But anyway, yeah, that's my background. And that's it. it a lot of the, the mechanics for um, Perilous D6, I wanted to have combat which felt intuitive without mm -hmm. it being too crunchy, too bogged down. I know that in the past mm -hmm. I've, I've spoken to other people who've tried to make like realistic set uh, fighting uh, rules. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people feel like it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's too complicated. It slows yeah. the game down. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that's not something I wanted. I wanted it to feel intuitive. It felt like something that I come have come to understand of how Renaissance and uh, late medieval fighting works without it being boring. That sounds awesome to me. I love I love a fast combat system because, like you say, when combat's taking a really long time, sometimes it feels like you're just sitting waiting for your turn to happen. Um, so let's let's get into it as we're kind of walking our way over there to talk about Perilous D6. So I, I think I want to get into the combat. First of all, let's talk about the core kind of mechanics behind it. I'm guessing some people that are sharp in the audience and listening will realize Perilous D6, perhaps it's a D6 dice pool system. Would that be right, Kyle? That would be correct. <laughs> okay, could you expand a little bit more on 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 the core mechanic of the game? Yeah, so the uh, the core mechanics are not going to be dissimilar to anyone who's played Shadowrun or Vampire the Masquerade. So you've got a pool of d6, and you're looking, you're counting successes. Mm -hmm. So there's three colors of dice in in Perilous d6. There mm -hmm. is white, which is your default die mm -hmm. that succeeds on a four, five, or six. Okay, great. And then Depending on how proficient your character is or what kind of equipment they have, you can have the potential to also roll red or black dice. So red mm -hmm. succeed on a three up, 
black succeed on a two up. And so when you're rolling, you're just, you, you have to hit a target number in our game. Our target number is called a difficulty value. Mm -hmm. It's typically going to range anywhere between one and four. And as long as you meet or exceed the number of successes necessary in your dice pool, you mm -hmm. succeed at whatever you're trying to do. Love it. I love that that I'm not having to do any math for this. I'm just looking at whether or not it's succeeded or failed. So I'm not having to add up all the numbers because it is really fun throwing a fistful of D6 dice. But on the systems where you have to add them up, sometimes that takes a bit of time. So that's awesome to hear with that. So that's kind of the core mechanic of it. Um, I was kind of, we were walking towards talking about combat and how you achieve that. So like you say, you want it to be kind of historical and feel fun, but you wouldn't want it to be kind of really slow and and bogged down. So how, how does combat work? So I'll, I'll kind of address some of the the issues I've had with, with other games. And I, yeah. and I you've probably heard this before, but you know, when you're using a D20, you have just as much chance of rolling a one as you do a 20. And sometimes combat feels less about how proficient your character is at doing something and just how mm -hmm. lucky you are rolling the die. That's true. Yeah. And Sometimes yeah. I feel like I roll ones more than 20s, even though it's statistically <laughs> not the case. But yes, yeah, so exactly, yes, I understand. And then the other system, which I've, I like, like I mentioned earlier that I've played a lot, is the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, which is the D100. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and anyone who's played a D100 game knows, especially early on, uh, new characters, they have the whiff factor. So let's say you only got a 30% chance of succeeding at something and your opponent only has a 30% chance of succeeding. So now mm -hmm. um, you're only hitting one out of three times you roll the dice and the other person, the enemy that is only rolling, hitting once out of every time. And so combat can take forever and, and it doesn't yeah. feel like it's going anywhere. It's just people missing, 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 missing. Yeah. Yeah. That was my Warhammer fantasy experience, except I did shoot somebody successfully, but then it went so badly. It was actually, my the other player character I shot in the legs. So oh, yeah, nice. I relate to that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, the one thing, and so that's one aspect to it. So with uh, with the D6 dice pool, when it's combat, instead of hitting a target number, what mm -hmm. we've done is dice rolls are opposed. Okay. And this makes it so it's far more often that the the more skilled, better equipped combatant is going to win. Mm -hmm. And again, that's it's not to say like in a, in a real sword fight or even, I mean, anyone who's been in a fight with anyone knows that like not me. you can fight someone and, and something bad, you can, you could be more skilled or you could be less mm -hmm. skilled and it doesn't necessarily determine the outcome, but more often than not, the person who is more skilled is going to have a greater chance of success mm -hmm. in a fight. Yeah. And that's one of the things we'd be able to simulate with our rules. Uh, the other thing too is uh, when it comes to, the narrative of combat, uh, let's take, for example, uh, a D20 based game like D&D, uh, &D. Mm -hmm. your armor class is the target number to hit, but yeah. armor class can mean a number of things. It could mean how well you dodge things. It can mean mm -hmm. like literally what kind of armor you have on. Yeah. And so from the, just the narrative standpoint of interpreting the dice and, and trying to figure out what they mean, uh, I've always felt armor class is, is more vague than I want it to be. Mm -hmm. Whereas yeah. in um, Perilous D6, uh, there's a uh, defense role and an armor role. They're separate. So mm -hmm. you can have a character who's just very good at parrying and dodging and avoiding being hit. Mm -hmm. um, and that's different than a character who's just wearing lots of armor. Yeah, for sure. So different combat styles and 
Yeah. Okay, cool. So uh, when we're talking about combat, I like, like you say, it's a pose. So that almost feels thematic as well. Like I'm picturing like swords clashing and like someone's going to win type situation. Um, but in combat, um, I want to talk about some of the conditions and how you deal with like healing and grit and, and those sorts of elements as well. Could you talk about the different conditions and, and things that there are in Paralysis 6? Yeah, so I, I try to streamline the, the rules in such a way that instead of trying to have to lay out what every single debilitating action or spell or whatever does, uh, a lot of times um, it simply just, it just says that uh, when you do this thing that it imposes some sort of debilitating condition. And so then the conditions are all laid out. Okay. And um, it's not too dissimilar, I would say, from I think, I think most role-playing games have something similar to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I would say that we've tried to streamline the rules in such a way that it emphasizes the use of the conditions. So uh, it just, when you're reading something, when you're looking at what a weapon does, what a spell does, you just see it says it imposes this condition. It makes it much simpler. Mm-hmm. And then some things, some factors like rest may uh, remove a negative conditions. Like if you're sickened or fatigued, just resting will recover that. And sometimes something like being diseased, that's not that simple. Sure. And then, um, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, carry on. The only other thing I was going to say is when you're, I know you brought up the grip points too, which is mm-hmm. essentially our hit points. There's mm-hmm. fewer of them. I, I think characters typically have anywhere between on average three to six grip points and mm-hmm. as much as 10. Okay. And uh, healing is a lot more difficult. I would say it's a little bit grittier than with some other games that maybe people are familiar with. So Okay. So I can't um, just have a nap and be fine the next day. No, and so oh. and, and there is natural healing uh, uh-huh. when resting somewhere, but you don't fully recover, and um, there's a lot more emphasis on not trying. It's just maybe not avoiding unnecessary fights instead of trying to pick as many fights as necessary. Because you may. Okay. The other thing too is, and I I can't remember if it's in Parallel C6. I don't think it is, but in the Streets of Peril, which uses it, we also mm-hmm. have another table for injuries. And so characters mm-hmm. can also become injured as well. Okay. And they're short time, they're short-term disabilities where they just it, it just discourages players from constantly picking fights over and over again. Yeah. So combat is like significant. So if you get into a fight with somebody, it's potentially going to be a problem for you. It's not just, oh well, it won't kill us, so let's charge in. It's it's meaningful, I guess. Yeah. And most most games are encouraged to take place in an urban environment where mm-hmm. the, the characters are typically actually going to be residents and citizens. So there's a lot more political and um, uh, legal consequences for okay. using violence in this game than I would say in other ones where like it's, it's mm-hmm. a lot different than you go out into the wilderness to some remote goblin cave and murder all the goblins and take their stuff. <laughs> okay. um, yeah. you're, you're, uh, a lot of the rivals that you'll create, they could be... Um, people who, if you decide to go right out and murder them, they're, they have family members, they have friends, they have ally, allies. Yeah. Um, just the legal system itself may decide to punish you for it. So uh, it, uh, it definitely encourages players to, to use violence carefully. Fantastic. Um, if people are interested in reading more about the conditions and the things we're talking about, um, I did notice on Drive Through RPG right now that Perilous D6 is available for as a free kind of pay what you want 
system at the moment um so i'm putting those links in the show notes of the podcast and in the chat if you're watching live uh so if you want to download the pdf of paralysis 6 and have a look through in more detail about what we're talking about please feel free to do that uh now as well because who doesn't love a little free preview um so uh going back to talking about the game so we have obviously combat so we're fighting like you say it sounds like the the swords and the equipment the weapons are going to be quite historically accurate and inspired from your background um but there is also magic in the game so yes. how does how do you approach the magic system so one of the things i wanted to avoid was a, a vancian style system so it is there's not spell slots right there's not a, a okay. limitation on the amount of spells you can cast per day like you would see a DD. sure instead uh, the caveat to unlimited spell casting is that spell casting is inherently dangerous. And so okay. there is one, um, you can be injured and harmed by spell casting. And mm -hmm. two, um, not in Perilous D6, but in Streets of Peril, we also have a mechanic called etheric manifestations. And uh, essentially, what that means is you can cause strange, random, magical phenomena in the world, like um, frogs falling from the sky or <laughs> souring everyone's milk within a mile and things like of that nature. Okay. So magic's a little bit unpredictable and there's a cost, and so it's used with caution. So it's powerful and big, but potentially powerful and big consequences as well. Correct. Okay, great. Um, so we talked a little bit about kind of Streets of Peril and also Perilous D6, but just while I've got both on the screen, uh, just to clarify, so Perilous D6 is like kind of the core system and then what and Streets of Peril, what, what is that? Because that's just funded on Kickstarter. So congratulations for the funding on that. Thank you. Um, could you talk us through what Streets of, of, of Peril kind of is uh, to the game? Yeah, so that's our, that's our flagship game for Broken Blade mm -hmm. Publishing. And mm -hmm. like you said, it it runs off of the, the core mechanics from Perilous D6. Uh, so everything in Perilous D6 you'll find in Streets of Peril. The difference is that uh, there are gonna be new options and additional uh, rules material that you're gonna find within Streets of Peril, which is gonna be mm -hmm. setting specific. And then the game itself offers a Renaissance world. And as you can tell with the cover art with the launch connects, it's, mm -hmm. uh, this, the primary setting is heavily inspired by the Holy Roman Empire. Fantastic. Thanks. Because I just I just realized I was talking about it really confidently. I was like, I don't know if I've told the listeners what's going on with these two books. So you don't need to kind of buy both. It's not like so Streets of Peril will you can just buy that and that'll have everything you need. Correct. And you've got the free download of Perilous D6. So people can kind of see what it's about and get a feel for it before they um before they invest in it. Um so congratulations on the Kickstarter. Um I've put the link in and people will see that it is fully funded so if somebody's listening to this and learning about streets of peril and they're like oh damn i wish i'd backed that will they have the opportunity to do a late pledge or something like that yeah they should be able to go through backer kit and do a late pledge for that so once we get um all the backer kits set up that should be an option fab no i, I relate to that getting backer kit set up that does take a little bit of time there's lots of that's my part of the job and the process I do. So I feel you with that. Um, fantastic. So if you go to the Kickstarter, there'll be updates there. So if you are interested uh, in that. But going back to the system and um, how kind of everything works. So we've talked a little about kind of the core mechanic of the dice pool system, combat, magic rules. Um, could we talk a bit about the ambition progression system next? Oh, yeah. Um, 
so that's one of the things that I think makes Perilous D6 um, stand out from some other games is that one of the things I really wanted to emphasize was player-driven stories. And I think it's hard sometimes to emphasize the um, using the rules to emphasize that. And so what we did uh, when we were designing this is create a system where the, the player and their character has to declare three ambitions upon creation. Okay. And everyone in the party has to have one common ambition. And this was really helpful because I don't know if you've ever played in a group where um, everyone is kind of at odds with one another and it seems very hard. It doesn't really make any sense why any of the players would, or the characters would be working together. Sure. Uh, this solves that problem. There's, there's at least one thing that every, all the characters have in common. There's something okay. they're all commonly working towards. While the other ambitions could... Um, conflict, there's at mm -hmm. least that one. Okay. And so as long as uh, players are every session, as long as during the session, they are actively working to try and further one of their ambitions, they get mm -hmm. experience. And okay, then cool. upon completing an ambition, they get even more experience. Amazing. So what sort of examples would there be for ambition? So if I was to sit down to make a character, what sort of things, you know, could I choose? Yeah, that's a really good question. In fact, um, when Streets of Peril was first released, we we didn't give uh, any kind of um, direction as to how to use this system. And some of the early playtesters were giving us feedback of how, like, well, players declare ambitions are too easy, and so they're getting experiences too quick, or yeah. they're they're declaring ambitions which are not possible. They make no sense, like becoming emperor of the world. And so you're like, well. <laughs> Um, so one of the things we really try to do, at least with Streets of Peril is, is give a lot of direction in the book about mm -hmm. how to think about creating ambitions that make sense and, and okay. really having a dialogue between the players and the game master about, you know, what kind of ambitions make sense and then maybe even mm -hmm. reshaping them to work. Uh, one of the things I've always liked from the standpoint of a, a player driven story is if, if a player comes into the game and they have an ambition and they say, um, let's say one of the examples is there is a, a vengeance type ambition where okay. uh, a, a cliche, something like uncle killed father, took the family estate, something like mm -hmm. that, uh, sure. frame, framed you for whatever. Mm -hmm. um, the player comes up with this and then the game master kind of works with them to be like, okay, well, so or who's your, what is your uncle doing now? Where does he live now? Like, where's your estate at? Um, uh, what other what are the consequences that happened of this? And trying to think about how to put um, that into the world so that the player can interact with the game master's world to further that ambition. Yeah. And the idea is, when the players declare ambitions, you know, they want to create them in such a way that there's always some sub um, goal, like that. There's little things that they have to keep trying to do in order to complete it. So, for example, mm -hmm. let's say for uh, your ambition is there's a uh, uh, a greedy baron who is got uh, he's out in the countryside and he's uh, he's taking away everyone's farmland and whatever. Um, and it turns out not only that, but he's he's taking all these people and he's forcing them into indentured servitude illegally. Okay. So you may have to go and you can't just confront the baron straight up because he's got an army. He's got he's got all these resources. So there's little, the, the little sub things you would have to do, the goals you would have to do to meet before you're able, the prerequisites you'd have to meet before you actually could accomplish your goal. Maybe something like 
you go and disrupt um, one of his bases. Uh, you find out one of his lieutenants um, and you frame him for something, have him arrested. So he's out of the equation. Uh, you steal money from the Baron. So he's limited. You're taking resources away from, him. and eventually you get to the point where you've weakened and crippled him enough that the final confrontation, mm -hmm. uh, leads to you completing that ambition. Nice. And when I've, as a character, so if I've completed my ambi ambition, what's, what happens then? Can I, can I get a new one or? Yes. Are they, yeah. Great. Okay. <laughs> Yes, in so, fact, you have to. Yeah, the, yeah. The goal is the and and ideally too. Um, you know, the, it's my my idea here with um, gaming in general, and this is not exclusive to Perils T Six. Is I I prefer when the players are the ones sort of crafting the narrative through their choices. Um, mm -hmm. they're, they're dictating the story by how they are influencing the world, and so once a player goes and achieves something more likely than not, there may be another ambition, which is related to that, which now they're just, they're going that extra step further. Sure. Uh, so I, I don't, I, I don't necessarily dislike games where, I mean, everyone's played a game where the game master has like, he's got this big story in mind and everyone's mm -hmm. going to play the story and we're, we're on the railroad track or we're, we're going to get mm -hmm. to the end. That's yeah. fun. Uh, but like I said, I, I prefer more, it was like maybe you'll call it sandbox where it's yeah. again it's, the players are the ones coming up with the story definitely and i think that would be really easy to do as a i'm thinking with my game master hat on doing a session zero for this to set up everyone's ambitions you could even like breadcrumb it in a bit like just by going okay your shared ambition is be you, you've all got beef with this one particular person and the players can then agree who that is and why and they can have their different reasons and then you've kind of got their first bad guy to go up against or whatever that is that they're doing. So yeah, I can see how that's really easy to signpost. And it's a way, almost a way for players to give feedback to the GM about what they want in the campaign. Because if I say my ambition's this, I'm like, oh, okay, as a player, you're telling me you want a, this kind of story, you want this kind of thing to be in the adventure, which is sounds really great to me. So that sounds really good fun. Um, what other things would you say uh, in the system make it, because I've been talking a lot about from player perspective of playing the game, but from somebody running a game, uh, what other elements have you put in that you think GMs would particularly like about the system? I think, well, I, one of the things I like about it is there is a little bit more interaction with um, thinking about less of coming up with the story. And this kind of goes back to my other thing, but it's, it's a little bit less of thinking about a story as much as leaning into world building. Mm -hmm. And I know from a, from the standpoint of more like I've come up with this narrative and I want everyone to, to follow the narrative. Oftentimes a lot of the attention that you place into world building, sometimes I, I know game masters can kind of feel like that goes to waste because the players just don't care. They're just going to ignore it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but when it comes to uh, more of a sandbox game, it, it pays off to have a fleshed out world where you've got factions, uh, which um, the players are probably going to have to interact with at some point or it's in their interest to, whether it's mm -hmm. confrontationally or through forming alliances. It's, uh, it's in your best interest to have multiple locations of interest already set up. So if the yeah. players decide that they, they are, they're going to try to achieve something you already kind of have in mind like what kind of breadcrumbs you're leaving for them to go to these different places, but it's ultimately their choice. And so if you're, if you're the kind of game master who's really, really interested in crafting a living world that mm -hmm. the players want to interact with, 
I think this helps because it once the players have these ambitions, they're they're more inclined to want to investigate your world to figure out how to best interact with it in such a way that um, fulfills their ambitions, as mm -hmm. opposed to necessarily like I've got a story and I've got other details out here, but the players are so tunnel visioned on and and fo narrowly focused on well, I got to go and do the beat the big bad evil guys so that yeah. they're, they're distracted from everything else you've spent time working on. Sure. And with um, with characters as well. So we talked a little bit about we talked a lot about ambitions because I think it's really cool. And um, we talked about kind of the, the core rules, and then you know, obviously players will have attributes and, and things that will lead into that. But we haven't talked about the character classes yet. We have mentioned that you can do, you know, combat has magic or or not. But could you talk us through the character classes? So what sort of people will we be playing if we played the game? Yeah. So the Perils D six offers uh, four core classes. Uh, they are the man at arms. He is a um, he's your soldier type, and uh, he has got a diverse skill set as far as what kind of weapons and armor he's proficient with. And more importantly, the man at arms uh, has a bunch of abilities which allows them to sort of control the battlefield. So, okay, uh, he has a special trait called tactics, where um, he kind of issues a command to someone, and then that player receives a bonus in some way and then um his best ability uh his like kind of like trademark ability is something called coordinated movement where it actually lets the player take an additional movement during the man-at-arms turn okay and so you're sort of creating these like you know whatever pincher movements or you're trying to get people out of harm's way it, it makes you feel more like you're a, a battlefield tactician in that nice. role and then there's the scoundrel is kind of like a rogue uh, he's also the face. Nice. It's it's the charismatic trickster. Uh, the Magister is our um, arcane spellcaster, mm -hmm. and the Cultist is our divine magic user. Fantastic. And is there different options in Streets of Peril, I'd imagine? Yes. And so in Streets <laughs> of Peril, we have four additional classes. We have the Brute. Mm -hmm. It's kind of your alleyway street brawler. The Duelist, uh, which is heavily inspired by my HEMA background. So he's the, Amazing. he's the, the, the fencer. He's the guy who's actually trained in like a formal sword guild and has learned all these special secret ninja type techniques that he can use. So this is the guy who's trained Arya Stark in Game of Thrones. I've forgotten his yes, name. Exactly, yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Yes. Love it. And yes. And so then you also have uh, an engineer who's a mix of science and magic and he creates oh, this kind okay. of uh, wacky inventions mm -hmm. um and then who else is unique to it? we have the wayfarer it's kind of our ranger archetype uh they're very proficient in rural environments and they're uh really good marksmen what's awesome. the one i'm missing <laughs> i don't know you, you, know, you tell I know, me i got, I got them all no i got them I, I you got you job. got it well you say it constantly <laughs> no one's gonna know because like i say the, the one i've checked i've checked out the perilous d6 rule set which you if uh some people have just joined just to remind you that you can uh download the core rules for free on drive through rpg now the links are up on the screen or in the the notes there um so you'll be able to see some of them but i didn't know all the ones from streets of peril so if you said it confidently carl i would have just believed you, you could have told me <laughs> could have told me anything um, and someone asked in the uh, chat from before uh, they said, oh, damn it, I missed the Kickstarter. Don't worry, it'll be coming up and back again in the next few weeks. If you missed out, you will have the opportunity to pick it up then. Um, brilliant. So we kind of we talked about combat, we talked about magic rules, ambition progression, talked about the different characters. 
what am I missing? What are the other bits uh, about the system that you want to kind of tell us about sure. or brag about today? So one of the things that we also wanted to emphasize is the character progression not being um, tied to levels. So okay. classes, classes are your archetype. They're your starting point. And mm -hmm. what they do is explain how your character came to acquire the abilities that they start the game with. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the examples that I, I commonly cite is historically there would have been a variety of different ways in which someone would have learned to fight. There would have been mm -hmm. people who were um, just participating in martial games like stick fighting and folk wrestling. And theoretically, an individual who got really, really good at wrestling and pugilism and, and fighting with cudgels uh, could become uh, actually relatively wealthy. They could travel around winning tournaments with prizes on the line. And so, but that's a very different kind of combatant than say a trained soldier who's yeah. spent time um, training in formation and it's it's a lot less uh, this informal brawling as much as it is uh, thinking about how to coordinate with your your fellow soldiers to best tackle an opponent and then both of those are different than the duelist who is mm -hmm. you know if you're thinking of like terms of like martial arts movies it's the guy who's the who spends all the time in the dojo um, mm -hmm. He's constantly working on, he's not only, not only has he spent all his time in this formal sword environment where he's training, but he's also has access to these, these hidden techniques that, that are exclusive to that style. So that kind of makes it a little almost supernatural as far as what he's able to do. Sounds but, good. But, and, and so, what I, and then I'm sorry, then what I was going to get at is that, so that's the starting point. Mm -hmm. But one of the things we want to make is that it, the progression is very open from there. So. Mm -hmm. You, instead of trying to progress through levels, uh, experience is like currency. So you spend your experience to advance your character in a number of ways. And very easily, a character who starts off as a brute could pick up um, skills and abilities which would traditionally not be associated with that archetype. Like he okay. could learn how to start picking locks. He could learn to become more stealthy. He could um, start becoming... Uh, more uh, academically inclined and learning something about, you know, necromancy because the way the campaign is moving, maybe uh, it, that's what those kinds of skills are required for that campaign. And so it, it doesn't make people feel stuck in an archetype. It allows mm -hmm. people still to have the, the ability and flexibility to um, sort of shape their characters how they want. Mm -hmm. And speaking of like different skills and, and things like that, we've we talked a lot about combat, um, but I think you mentioned before there's also kind of politics and intrigue and other elements that you can bring into the game as well. Yeah, and and one of the things we talk about uh, with Streets of Peril in the Game Master section is the different themes that Game Masters can explore. And mm -hmm. you hit the nail on the head earlier when you were saying how when players are picking their ambitions a lot of times that's going to inform sort of the themes of the game. Mm -hmm. So, and so we, we've offered a lot of direction to game masters to think about, well, what kinds of themes are you going to incorporate? So maybe there, there are mystery elements where the players in order to pursue whatever they're doing, they have to find clues. They have to um, solve problems. Uh, and then there could be political uh, themes as well, where, uh, you know, one of the, the sorts of factions you'll find in these mm -hmm. big city states are noble houses. Okay, and, yeah. and noble houses often have 
competing goals and they are mm -hmm. rivaled with one another. And so there very well could be a time where unbeknownst to the players, because they're accepting um, a contract with one noble house, they're going and they're performing political favors from one noble house in exchange for some benefit that inadvertently or not, you know, it ends up angering another noble house. And so now they're, they, maybe if they try to go and pursue those same sorts of resources somewhere else, they're not going to, they're not going to be offered them. And then it can even be worse than that. Like if there's, um, all these uh, city states are governed by a city council, which is for the mm -hmm. most part democratically elected by citizens. And so these, but these elections can get really silly, like to the point where people are, there's bribing, there's bribes going on, there's uh, intimidation, there's bullying, there's just sometimes even just outright assassination. And okay. it's very easy that the players could, they, mm -hmm. could, they could get without, you know, either later on, like a, a, a group of players who, um, Maybe they've they've started a, a trade guild or a mercenary uh, company, and they've progressed uh, in the world and they've created an influence. They themselves could potentially even pursue like a city council seat as an ambition. But even without that, on a lower scale, um, they may have patrons, powerful patrons, who are members of a city council. And when it comes time for electing city officials, uh, they could be embroiled in all the politics that goes on and where they have to basically do favors for one patron, which puts them at odds with another. Yeah. Okay. That, that seems a bit more tricky than just like stabbing something in a combat as well. That seems like you have to do a bit more problem solving in that situation. So that's, that's great to know. So with the book, it sounds, it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds very much like in the GM section, giving advice is very much suited for people that, have their own kind of ideas for campaigns and stories, but they want like a system and a setting to kind of put that in. Would that, would that be correct? Or, or are there yeah. parts available? Yeah. And, and we also, um, we have a, a, a built-in adventure in the, in the book as well. It's a starting oh, okay, adventure. Great. And, mm -hmm. and it, it kind of offers um, some direction to the game master mm -hmm. of how to come up with adventures. Cause just because the, even though the players are the one sort of dictating how the story is being shaped ultimately when it comes to, okay, well, what, how does this manifest? The game master is still mm -hmm. essentially going to come up with what we would call adventures, right? It's like, well, sure. you want to do this thing. So what, what does this entail? What are all the things that are going to go in, involved with that? And so we do offer what we call starting adventure. So, um, and then again, the other thing is there's, there's all kinds of different types of games. And so you're, mm -hmm. you're not like, if, if you're playing the game, you're not, at all interested in political rivalries, um, you could get you could create a game that has more horror elements, where there's mm -hmm. something that's terrorizing something, and the players are going to figure out how to stop it. Or um, you know, there's there's a lot of other options available. Uh, they're not shoehorned into playing one type of game. Mm. Fab. Well, that's good to know. It sounds like it's flexible enough to do, like you say, kind of both options, which is really great. Um, Thank you so much uh, for coming and tell us about Perilous D6 and also Streets of Peril. Um, I'm really excited to get to chat to you about it in depth. Um, I do have uh, one last kind of question for you today, though, uh, and that is, uh, do you have any other TTRPGs you'd like to recommend or shout out whilst you have the opportunity today? I well, I mean, I kind of touched on it earlier, but I, I, my first love is Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. So mm -hmm. I always suggest people try that. Uh, mm -hmm. It's different. The, the career system yeah. is something else that's it's worth it though it's fun and mm -hmm. um i've also been doing layout for um a friend's book he's doing a 
Savage World supplement. And that's yeah, an cool. interesting game system as well. So if you've never tried that one, it's worth a look. Two great recommendations there. That's great. Thank you. Um, Kyle, thank you so much for coming on and, and answering all my questions. If somebody's listening to this afterwards or we didn't get around to answering their question in the chat, where's the best place for people to get in touch with you if they have any questions or want updates about you know when the backer kit's coming out? Where's the best place to get in touch? Uh, you can go to thebrokenblade.com. Uh, that's our website. That's mm-hmm. There's a way to contact me there. So, and, uh, yeah. and I try to get back to you as quickly as possible. Fab. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on and sharing your game with us. I'm really excited uh, to get my copy of Streets Apparel uh, when it's coming out now that Kickstarter successfully funded. So that's super exciting. And yeah, and hope to have you back on the show in the future when you have uh, another game coming out. Perfect. Thank you for having me. No problem. Thanks for coming on. And thank you to everybody watching. Um, next week, we'll have another guest on where we're having Raccoon Sky Pirates. So slightly different TTRPGs than what we had this week. So if you're interested in learning more about Raccoon Sky Pirates, come back same time, same place next week. Thank you very much for watching and listening. Bye.